Welcome to Seeking Christ in the Scriptures, the teaching and preaching podcast from McConnell Road Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. My name is Matthew Tilly, and I'm the pastor of McConnell Road Baptist, and we're glad that you've joined us for this podcast. If you'd like to learn more about the church, please visit us online at mcconnellroadbaptist.org. I want, to find you, I want you to find your place in uh, your copy of God's Word in Revelation chapter 19, the revelation of Jesus Christ. We are looking at the last word, the last four chapters of Scripture. Uh, we're going to look at this passage. It's just a few verses. Um, I think it's six, um, six sentences um, starting in verse 11 of chapter 19. Uh, we'll read that in just a moment, but as I read this passage, I, y'all should know, I, I may have told y'all this before, but it definitely this passage, chapter 19 in total, is probably, it is definitely one of my top five chapters in the Bible. It's, it's, it's on that real short list of chapters I really like. This is one I really like. And it reminds me, there, there's, a, there's a sentiment that comes to my heart every time I read this, and it kind of reminds me back, takes me back a few years it was the late 80s. I was about my son Jude's age. He's about 11. I was probably, give or take, a few years older than that. About in that ballpark, though, before I was a teenager. And um, we were living in Belgium at the time. My dad was a missionary church planner, in case you didn't know that, with the U.S. military. And we were living in Belgium at the time. And I remember it was a cold, dreary day. I don't know what time of the year it was. I just remember it was cold and dreary. We were on a military installation, a military base, and we could see a long way away this little tiny figure. And we were waiting on that little tiny figure to walk across. And uh, he turned and he saluted. I don't remember who he was pointing to, but we're on a military base, so he's obviously addressing the military men and women that were there. And that was President Ronald Reagan. And I remember at that time thinking, man, that's my president. My president. Now, I didn't know him, didn't know anything about I me. Mean, I'm a kid, but I'm like, ooh, that's my president. And I didn't get to see him. I mean, he, I might as well, I mean, it might as well have been nothing. He was just like that. But I remember thinking that. And fast forward a few more years, in October of 2000, I had some political ambitions at the time. And somehow, one way or another, or, orchestrated events. I was standing in, a, in the cattle barn, if you know the Dixie Classic uh, Fairgrounds, that cattle, uh, cattle barn there. Standing in that cattle barn, hay everywhere, it smelled weird in there, like cattle barn smell, I think. But uh, I remember waiting on George W. Bush. He was not yet president at that time. This is October. He had been debating uh, Al Gore over at Wake Forest University, and he was coming after the debate. And we were standing there. It was kind of a different environment. It was, it was kind of a warm evening. Hey, it was everywhere. And it was a little more fun, a little more exciting. You know, just everybody was excited about it. But I remember, I mean, he was, I was a lot closer. I was probably about as close from me to where Brother Daryl is. I was probably about that, about that close to him. And I remember thinking, man, this guy's going to be my president. I remember thinking at that time, and it was exciting. I was like, man. And, he, and, he, and y'all know, whether you loved him or hated him, I'm sorry, whichever way you liked him, but he had that kind of demeanor about him that you just kind of thought, man, he's my best friend. You know, it's just kind of the way he acted, the way he operated. And uh, I just remember thinking that about that, that, that's, that moment. 
Hadn't felt like that in a long time, by the way. Just sorry, whatever y'all think about any of the guys that have been since then, but hadn't really felt like that in a long time. Shines wore off on politics for me, to be perfectly honest about things. Um, current situation's not helping anything at all. <laughs> um, but I will say this. I want justice to be served. I, I want authority to be respected. I, I want statesmen, stateswomen to be in political office. I want people that I can respect and look up to. I want to live in a country where I can feel safe and my family is safe. That's what I, I want those things. I want those things. And I'm going to pray for America. I do pray for America. I try to encourage you to pray for our country. But I want to tell you right now that your hope is not in the White House. Your hope is not in Congress. The Lord hope it's not in Congress. Your hope is not in the Supreme Court of the United States. Whatever happens with this nominee or doesn't happen or whatever, that is not your hope. And let me tell you, your hope is not in the governor's mansion. Y'all know how I feel about our governor. God bless our governor. And our hope is not in the General Assembly. Our hope is not in the county courthouse. Our hope is not in the sheriff's office. Our hope is not in the mayor's office. Whether or not at the, we're going to have an election here in a few, what about a month or so in November, when you see those election results, whether that makes your heart swell with pride or whether it makes tears come to your eyes, I don't know which way it'll happen. No matter which result you have, I want you to know that when I read this passage right here in Revelation, that thought times, times in an infinite amount that I had when I was a little kid and then when I was a younger man, when I said, that's my, that guy, that's the guy. That feeling, that feeling like nobody could do anything wrong, that's the feeling I get when I read this passage. That's my Jesus. That's my God. That's my King. And I want y'all to read it with that in mind, that everything else is just, everybody else is letting you down. Everybody else is disappointing you. Everybody is frustrating you. There's nobody that's worthy of honor. Everybody is dishonorable. Yeah, I want you to read this passage with me in Revelation chapter 19, knowing this is your king. This is your God. I want to ask you if you found your place there to stand with me to read with uh, the, the Lord's words as we honor them by standing. He says in Revelation chapter 19 beginning in verse 11, and I saw, this is John speaking, he's writing what the angel tells him, I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes are as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. 
I want to ask you to pray with me. Lord, I want to thank you for our Savior, Jesus Christ, that we can, with absolute pure honor and dignity and glory, look at him and say he is worthy. Thank you for that Jesus who was pure, who was right, who was holy in every way. Thank you for him this morning, Lord. I'm going to attempt to show to these people the glory of this passage. Lord, I am, I am not adequate to the task. Lord, I don't know if their minds are even there, but Lord, I pray that you will help them with the Holy Spirit's strength to bring their minds, their visual eyes, their faith to that place where they can see Jesus as the skies are rolling back and that you will use that to help them, encourage them, to push them forward. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You all can be seated. The overall essence of this passage is, and me, to, to me, and again, I don't know if I've conveyed that to you or not. I hope I have. There's something glorious that's going on here. Jesus is coming back. You, you know Jesus from the Gospels, right? He's a little baby in a manger. You know Jesus from the Gospels where there is a man who's whipping his back and making him look not even like a human being. You know Jesus, even in his most victorious moments, he's coming out of the, out of the, out of the grave, but he's got scars in his hands and in his feet. He, you know Jesus as the, the meek and the mild one, the one who, is the, I think it's Isaiah that says he wouldn't even uh, stop a fire from being burned, or a, 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 he wouldn't even break a blade of grass. He's so gentle. That's how we know Jesus, and the reason we know him that way, because Jesus is meek and mild, Jesus is loving, he is gracious, he is kind, but this is called the revelation of Jesus Christ. You get to see him for who he is fully, in his most full essence, you get to see that. And in this passage, the way that, the, the, that John has given it to us here, not only is he given all these imagery, and I want to try to help you understand some of the imagery that he's given, some of the, the symbols that are here, I want to help you try to understand those things. But what he's done in six short sentences is he's given us four names. I want to draw your attention to the four names that are here. That's going to hang everything. Everything hangs around these four names. Just for make sure we're talking about the same thing, let's all look at this together. If you've got your copy open, you'll see the first name in verse 11. It's faithful and true. That's his first name. The second name is in verse 12, the last part. He says he's got a name that no man knew but himself. We don't even know what that name is, but there is there. There's a name. The third, the third, name, is, um, the third name is in verse 13. His name is called the Word of God. And then the fourth name, which we see at the very end, he is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So we're going to look at each of these four names because I think they tell us who Jesus really is. He begins in verse 11 by telling us that Jesus is on a white horse. Heaven opens up and there's, he's on this white horse. That white horse is not just, uh, not, the, not just the color that God likes. It's not just the color he picked out of the stable that morning. It's on purpose. There's a reason for a white horse. If you were to go back to chapter 6 and verse 2, that horse is white because a white horse sim symbolizes or signifies, out of chapter 6 and verse 2, conquering. Someone on a white horse goes forth conquering. That's what he's doing. He's not going to be stopped, and he is not going to be cowed into stopping he's no one's going to stop him for what you, you can't there's nothing will stand in his way nothing can stand in his way so i want you to understand that when god is when jesus is coming out he is not stopping he's just going to continue to do this he will be victorious he will conquer because he is on a white horse 
Now, when he comes on this white horse, the work that he's about to do, he says there, his name is faithful and true. He is faithful and true. Why is he faithful and true? Because in, in righteousness, he doth judge and make war. He does what he's going to do. You can't stop him. You can't get in his way. But he does what he's going to do absolutely righteously. There is nothing wrong with what he's doing. He does it fully and he does it correctly. When, God, when Jesus gets done, there's no doubts about whether he was right or he was wrong. Nobody's second guessing him. There's been a lot of controversy in our nation over this verdict that's come out over this woman, Brianna Taylor, who was shot in a, in, a, in a police action. And certainly, there are people who say, what in the world? Why didn't they convict more of those police officers? And then there are others that say, what in the world? Why'd they convict any of the police officers? And I'm not trying to make a judgment on that because I don't have enough information. And some of y'all might shoot me, so I'm going to go on from that. But I'm going to say to you very briefly and very clearly, when Jesus makes a judgment, there won't be riots in the street. When Jesus makes a judgment, there won't be people that will raise their voice in anger over the judgment because they will know he made the judgment. It was right. It was correct. He is incorruptible. What he says is never, ever, ever untrue. He is faithful. He is true. He is not lying. He does not lie, nor can he be deceived. You could stand before a judge this morning. I hope you don't have to, but should you need to. And it is very possible. If you are slick and you are sly and you know what you're doing, you can lie to that judge. You could tell him what he wants to hear, and he may let you go because of the lies that came out of your mouth. Now again, I hope our justice is not justice system is not that easily perverted, but let's be honest, it's that easily perverted. But Jesus Christ is not one that can be lied to. You cannot lie to this Lord. He is an incorruptible judge. You can't slip him an extra bunch of money. You can't give him a vacation rental for free. You can't do these things to get one over on him. He is the true judge. He executes justice. You cannot bribe him. You cannot change his mind. If it's wrong, he's going to fix it. If it's wrong, he's going to call it wrong. And he declares war, as it says there. He, judge, he doth judge and make war. He declares war on all that's evil. If it is evil, if it is wrong, he is declaring war on it. All the corruption in this world, all the lies in this world, all the selfishness in this world, all the greed, all the abuse in this world, it will not go unnoticed by our Lord Jesus Christ. Can I make a note right here? This is not my message, but I want to make this note in this context because I think there are some people in this congregation, maybe even listening right now, who need to hear what I'm about to tell you. I hope this is a help to you. We talked about over the last few months over this topic of forgiveness on Sunday nights. And forgiveness is a very difficult topic. It is a difficult thing, especially for some of you who have been truly hurt. I'm not talking about somebody sat in your church pew. I'm not talking about somebody, somebody cut in front of you on the highway. I'm not talking about that kind of forgiveness. That, that's foolishness. We just, y'all just need to get over yourselves on that stuff. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about some real pain that some of you have went through. Maybe people have hurt you, abused you, done you wrong, objectively wrong. That forgiveness is not about saying what they did was okay. That forgiveness is not about never seeing that person come to justice, especially if they broke criminal laws. That's not about that. 
It is about saying that I believe Jesus is the righteous judge. He is faithful. He is true. And I am no longer going to seek the revenge myself because you know what? As much as it hurt me, I'm not a faithful and righteous judge. I'm not true all the time. Jesus is. And what I'm going to do, and this is what real forgiveness looks like. It says, I'm going to take that thing that hurt me and I'm going to say, Lord, you got to take care of this. I'm not saying we don't pursue justice. I'm not saying that we don't protect ourselves. Don't, don't hear any of that. But I'm saying what forgiveness ultimately looks like is saying Jesus is the one who will right the wrong. And I'm going to turn it over to the ultimate revenge. Jesus will take care of that problem. Jesus will take care of that matter. He will not let it stand. He's the righteous judge. The second name is in verse verse 12 at the end of that verse he says there that he's got this name that no man knew but himself one thing you need to know about a name especially in the ancient world was that a name is really the measure of a man my name is matthew tilly other than just knowing if you know me and you know that name you might associate certain characteristics with me but that's not we don't think about a name other than just simply a, a, a label to put on somebody but in the ancient world, that name was literally as if you were to say, I give you my word. I, this is who I am. I'm giving you my whole character. And my name is associated. It's that idea, like my daddy used to say, Matthew, don't run our family's name through the mud. That was, his, that was the idea. That's the same idea. It's associated with who you are, your, your character, your, your, your person, the, the sum and total of your abilities and your deeds. So a name was more than just a, a label that you'd put on somebody. And honestly, I think we could serve to do that a little bit better ourselves in this day, that our names ought to stand for something a little more than just the, the name that, that they send a check to whenever we get paid or Social Security or wherever else you get, you get money. Our names ought to be the measure of a man, but nonetheless, that's how it was said at this point. And Jesus is the one who his name no one knew, knows but himself. Because you need to understand this about Jesus. Now, remember, name is a measure of a man. The full understanding of who he is and his character. You need to know about this about Jesus. Jesus is the great Yahweh of the Old Testament. He is the name that is above every name. In Exodus chapter 3 and verse 14, he identifies himself as I am that I am. That name was actually four in, our, in the English language. We put four uh, consonants. It's an unpronounceable name. Y-H-W-H. We call it Yahweh. That's the, the, the Hebrew word, but that's an unpronounceable name. They didn't even understand what that name actually, how to say it, how to write it. It was a name that was, as in, in Judges, it was interesting, in Judges chapter 16, or excuse me, chapter 13, verse 18. In Judges 13, 18, Samson's parents, y'all know Samson, right? The, the strong man. His parents, before he's born, there's an angel. It says the angel of the Lord, which I believe was one of those pre-incarnate visitations from Jesus himself. They ask him, who are you? And he says, my name is a secret name. My name is a name you can't know. And the same, name, same word secret there is a word that the psalmist in Psalm 139 verse 6 says, that is too wonderful. It's too deep. It's too complex. There's too much to it. There's too much. You can't possibly know this person. This Jesus is so significant and so big, you can't know everything there is to know about him. Y'all ever met somebody that if you spend about 10 minutes with them, you know everything there is to know about them? 
Y'all know people like, because they won't hush, that's part of it. <laughs> and then, but they want to tell you everything. They just, blah, everything out to you. Y'all know, some of y'all might be those people, so I apologize if y'all are those people. Uh, but, <laughs> but there's some people, really, they, they, there's, there's, not, there's not much to know. And, you know, they, just, they tell it all. Jesus, you could spend your entire life, in fact, there are people who spend their entire lives studying the Word of God, understanding the Word of God, know more about it than you or I'll ever learn, and still will say there's more to learn, there's more to be there, there's more there. Because Jesus is the unknown name. He is the one who is infinite. He is without end. There is no way to possibly put your arms around how much there is to know about him. And that's why he says there that he is infinite. In fact, you go back to, um, back to the verse in verse 12, it talks about how infinite he is. His eyes were as a flame of fire. His eyes, they, they actually light the dark places. They're a flame of fire. There's nothing that's hidden from him. Everything is known to him. He is infinite in his knowledge. The big 50-cent word, if you want to have one of those, is om omniscient. He knows everything. He knows it all. He talks about after that that he has on his head many crowns. These crowns represent uh, authority, power, the fact that he is a king and has authority over something. And he's not got one or two. He's got many of them, an unknown, an unnumberable, un, unnum, unnumbered amount of them. He is not only all-knowing, he is all-powerful. He is omnipotent. He is all-existing. He has existed before time. He will exist after time. There is no time that he is not in existence. He is all present, everywhere, all of the time, omnipresent. He is eternal. He is infinite. There is no bottom to the information, to the knowing of Jesus Christ. He is the infinite God of the universe. If you go to verse 13 and 14, we now are introduced to this other name called the name, his name is called the Word of God. What's interesting about this verse in verse 12 is that he's got clothed, he's his clothed, uh, he's clothed with a vesture that's dipped in blood. And if you read after the, the, the scholars and that sort of thing, there's a little bit of a debate. Whose blood is this? Is this his blood or is this the blood of his enemies? Let me just go ahead and cut to the chase and tell you, I don't know. I don't know, but I'll tell you this much. Whenever you see Jesus Christ, there's a lot of blood. There's a lot of blood. I want to just read you a passage out of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter uh, 12, verses 2, 3, and 4. Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Here's what we know about Jesus. We know that he became our sacrifice. And if you go to the Old Testament sacrifices, they were marked by blood. Taking the blood of those sacrifices and putting them on the altar, and putting them on the north side and the east side and the west side of the altar. You take those blood, and there's blood everywhere in the tabernacle. There is blood everywhere because those, blood, those sacrifices, those things that were offered to atone for sins that reflected and looked forward to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ were covered with blood to su suggest, as Hebrew, the writer of Hebrews says, that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So he became my sacrifice. 
shedding his own blood. But you also see in this, in this particular passage in Rome, uh, Revelation 19 that what Jesus is doing is he's fighting our battles for us too. When you fight a battle, I, I haven't fought a battle myself. I've seen pictures, I've seen movies, I've read books. Some of you, on the other hand, have been in battle or at least been much closer than I've been, so you understand this better. But if there's a battle to be fought and there is to be a victor declared, there will be blood that is shed. And let me tell you, whenever Jesus fights, there will be blood that is shed. He fights the battle and he secures their, the, our victory. <laughs> this is a funny picture to me, I believe. I hope, hope you'll understand why I say that when I show you this. Here's Jesus. He's got his vesture dipped in blood. Whether it's his own blood or the blood of enemies or both, the point is we see blood everywhere. Yet look in verse 14. The armies which are in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And when's the last time you ever seen an army going into battle with white clothes on? I can barely wear a white shirt to church without getting something on it before I get home. Could you imagine trying to go into battle completely white clothed from head to toe? Why is that? Because they're not fighting one battle. They're not lifting a sword. They're not doing a thing because Jesus has already secured the battle. And why in the world do we know any of this? Because Jesus is God revealed in the flesh, the very Word of God sent to save us. The writer of Hebrews says in chapter 1 of Hebrews, God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in times past into the, unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, who he hath appointed heir of all things, and by whom also he made the worlds. You see, what I, what I needed was a Savior. I needed a Savior to save me from my sins. I needed someone to take on the enemies I could never defeat. I needed someone to take on death, hell, and the grave. I needed someone to shed blood on my account because my shedding of the blood would have been useless. It would have put me in the grave and it would have sent me to hell because my blood is not clean blood. But on the other hand, I needed a Savior Savior that I needed most was revealed to me, the one who is the most in need, I the most in need, see that Savior in the pages of the book, the pages of the Word of God. Y'all know the little song? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. How do you know about Jesus? He didn't show up to you in a dream. He's not saying he didn't or couldn't, but I'm not saying, I'm going to tell you, that's not how you know about Jesus. He did, he didn't, he's not walking into these doors. You know how I know about Jesus? Because he is revealed to me in the Word of God. And the Word of God tells me from the very beginning, you go all the way back to Genesis and you see bloodshed. You go to the book of Revelation, you see bloodshed. Jesus shedding his own blood on my account and shedding the blood of our enemies, making sure we do not have to fight because we will lose. But he is always the victor. He is my revealed Savior. He is the Word of God. Now, Verse 15, out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword. Jesus does what he says he's going to do. When Jesus speaks his words, the Bible says 
that his word is like a, a sword, a two, a double-edged sword, a two-edged sword cutting asunder soul and spirit. When Jesus speaks, his, his words cut to the point. They don't mess around. They don't beat around the bush. They get right to it. What he says goes. If he says you're going to do it, you're going to do it. Whether you want to or not, you might resist. Go ask Brother Jonah how that worked out for him when he resisted. You can resist the Lord. You can. But there will be a price to pay. The point is, he's got a sword, a sharp sword that goes out of his mouth. The words that come out of his mouth will absolutely require you to submit to him. He says that his, out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword. And he says with it, with that sword, he should smite the nations. Now the nations, in the scripture, the nations are, are contrasted with his people. So you've got all the nations and then God's people. Those are, the, those are the two kind of people groups in the, in the Scripture pretty consistently. So when you see the, the nations here, you're seeing people who are rejecting God. You're seeing people who are against Him. Love Him or hate Him, you will obey Him. If you love Him, you'll do it willingly. You'll do it because of worship, because you're just honoring Him, you're following Him, because you love Him. Don't love him, you'll still obey him because there is a sword, his mouth, his words are a sword that will smite you, that will cut you down. It's like gravity. Ask Jude about gravity, my son. You may think, actually it makes me think of Eli, when he was, he was a little bitty, I think he was five, six, I may be wrong, Vanessa will correct me later, uh, but I remember him being a little bitty, and he decided, he was always a superhero of some sort. And he decided he was in, I think he was in a, in a Batman or a Superman phase at that time. And he, we, had a, we had a front porch. It was probably about this high off that ground. So it was pretty high, that front porch. And he decided he was going to jump off of it. And he fully committed to the Batman or the Superman pose. And he went on it. And he landed on his head. You can think you can fly all you want to. You're not going to fly. If there's gravity pulling you down. But my son jumped out of a treehouse thinking he was going to play a joke on his friends and they played a joke on his knee. I'm telling you, the gravity is a serious thing. You can say it doesn't exist. You can say I'm, I'm not going to pay attention to it, but it's going to get you. It's going to get you sooner or later. It's going to get you. And that's exactly the way it is with the Lord Jesus Christ. You can resist, you can reject, you can turn him down, you can say no. You can be violent about it or you can be sweet, however you want to do it. You can turn him away all you want to, but there will come a time where he is going to say, there is a sword, I said do it, you are going to do it. He also will demand and he will get complete and total obedience and worship. You see this with the rod that is mentioned. He will, he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will rule them with a rod of iron. There's an unbending, unrelenting nature of Jesus Christ. That rod of iron, if you think about that rod, um, there might be some strong people in this room that might try to bend that and might maybe make a little bit of an a, a, a influence on it, but most of us are not going to make, make that thing budge one way or the other. You start hitting something with it, the rod doesn't get hurt, the thing it hits gets hurt. And that's the way our Savior is. He is unbending, unrelenting. He has, there, there is a time, and by the way, you're in it right now, just so we're all clear. There is a time for mercy. There is a time to talk to the Lord and get some grace. But there will come a time where there will be no negotiations. It will be done. 
What is settled is settled. It is over. And I want you to understand this about Jesus. And some people do this with Jesus, where they mistake his kindness for weakness. Jesus is not weak. He's kind. He loves you. He cares for you. He's extending his hand of mercy to you right now. I dare not suggest I know when that hand of mercy will be withdrawn, but I will tell you on the authority of God's word, there will be a time where there is no more mercy. You've chosen your side. You've picked your place. You said, I am against God. And in that case, he's got a rod of iron in with which he will control you. He will put you in your place. It will be unbending, unrelenting. It will come after you and you will worship You will worship. There will come a time where it says in the scripture that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. That is going to happen. You may sit and say, well, I'm okay. I'm not a bad person. I didn't ask you if you're okay. I'm not asking you if you're a bad person. I'm telling you, are you going to obey this one who is the sovereign ruler of the universe? He has every right to do this. And whether you agree with his right or not, he has every ability to do it. And he will. He will fully exercise and forcefully expose the wrath of God. I want you to see this. In, I never really quite grasped this picture of the wine press of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. But the image that comes to my mind as I've studied this, I've never, I, I, I've seen Lucy do it, so I don't know how to, how to press grapes, but I've seen Lucy do it. But no, seriously, you know, they, they push on the grapes whether they step on them with their foot or some other tool. But what they're doing, you know what a grape, it's got that little skin around it. It, it kind of holds all that stuff in and all the fibers and everything kind of hold that thing together. But it needs some force pushed on it to take those, the juice to pull it out to, to create wine or juice or whatever else they're going to do with those grapes. It takes force to break that skin, to break that thing down. And what I need you to understand is right now the Lord's offering you grace. He's offering you peace. He's been merciful. He's holding back the wrath of God. He even even took it on himself on the cross. He said, I'll take that wrath for you. But there's going to come a time when that thin line, that grape skin, those little fibers that hold that grape together. He's going, to hold, he's going to pull back everything. He's going to release everything that has been holding that together. He's going to remove that thin line between the opportunity with the peace with God and the eternal horrors of hell. There's going to come that time. There, there's that, there's a, do you understand there's such a thin line between those two things? Do you understand how thin of a line? It's such a thin line, it's like the image that he gives is like a wine press. It just smush it just smushed. It's gone. That's the kind of thing he's saying here. He is saying, I have the right to fully exercise and fully expose God's wrath to you. And I'm going to do it. That's what he's going to do. Why? Because he is the ultimate king. He is the ultimate king. We see it in his name because it's got this name on here on his, on his vesture and on his thigh. King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the ultimate king. Right? Uh, Paul says in Romans 13, there's no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. And he defines what a monarch looks like. He defines what leadership looks like. 
He's the leader. He's the master. He's the owner, and it's all his. I hope you've seen in this passage that this is my Jesus, and this is my God. I hope you can say he's your Jesus and he's your God. But whatever you say of him, I want you to know he is the coming conqueror. He is the only faithful and true one. He is the true enforcer of justice. He is the all-seeing, all-knowing one. He's the majestic king of the universe. He's the infinite God, Alpha and Omega, first and last, the one that was, the one that is, and the one that will be, literally defining, describing, putting the borders around what time is. He's my Savior, the one who died for my sins. He's the one that led, led, led the way for me to have victory. He defeated death, hell, and the grave. He's the one who's the victorious commander of heaven. He is the only God and the only way to God. That's who he is. He is the sovereign ruler of everything. If it goes on, it is because he is either allowing it or he is directing it. It is not catching him by surprise. He is the exposer and exerciser of God's wrath and God's anger. And let me tell you, you don't want none of that. You don't want to even come close to that. You want to be on this side of the Lord Jesus Christ, on his side, because he's the one that will catch every bit of that wrath for you. He's already caught it. But if you say, no, I want to do it myself, he'll say, fine, here you go. And he'll press out that wrath on you. He's the king who establishes kings, and he is the master who defines the very word. That's my Jesus. That's my God. I want him to be yours as well. Christian, will you worship him today? Will you obey him? Will you fall at his feet and worship him? If you're listening to me, whether you're on the live stream or in this room, I want to beg of you, don't try to stand up against him. Don't try to stand against him. Not a, don't ever do it. You're going to lose if you try. You will lose. I promise you, you will lose. You may say, well, I'm doing okay right now, and you may well do okay for a little while. But there's going to come a time when heaven's going to open back, and he'll come in on a white horse. It'll be done. Because he is God. Thank you for joining us for Seeking Christ in the Scriptures, the teaching and preaching podcast from McConnell Road Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. I'm Pastor Matthew Tilley, and I'm so glad you joined us here. But if you'd like to learn more about the church, please visit us online at mcconnellroadbaptist.org.